Hello, everyone. Welcome to Enjoy the Book of Life. We're here with another resource review, digging into another valuable book. Uh, back with us is Todd Nicholas, and we're excited for another recommendation. Uh, what book are we going to be looking at today? So that's a great question, um, David, because it's a book within a book. And I think as you and I dive into it, we'll probably um, decipher that out and kind of flesh that out in that it's um, a book written by John Piper, but it's it's him um, encapsulating a book by Jonathan Edwards from the, from the mid 1750s. And it was it was probably one of his favorites, if not his favorite of Jonathan Edwards and, and, and really uh, enriched his his life and his spiritual life. And so it's it's really the focus is the Jonathan Edwards book, and I'll get into the title in a second. But I read, and I want to clarify for the listeners that I read the John Piper version, and it has a few more things we could dive into that. Um, but the name of the book that Jonathan Edwards wrote um, was, like I said, near the end of his life in the what they think is the mid 1750s. So it is you know two three hundred years old um, in the writing style and language. But it's called the end for which God created the world. Hmm. Um, and the, the goal of the book is to uh, explain God's glory and his passion for his glory and how that culminates, how that's manifested. And he gets into a lot of details, but John Piper um, in his book, and I'll show it here, it's called uh, God's Passion for His Glory. I think it might be uh, reversed here, but um, God's Passion for His Glory. And what Jonathan, what John Piper does, excuse me, what John Piper does besides um taking the text of Jonathan Edwards, the end for which God created the world, he cleans it up a little bit. Cause like I said, it's, you know, two or 300 years old. He adds in some footnotes because he knows he did a lot of studying on Jonathan Edwards. There might be some times where Jonathan Edwards is not so clear mm. in what he says, cause he says it quick and moves on. And so he gives some context of what Jonathan Edwards believes or meant at that point, which I think is helpful. He also gives um, some biographical sketch of his life to some degree, not, not lengthy, mm -hmm. maybe 30, 40 pages. Yeah. Um, of his life, and which is was refreshing to me to hear. Um, but then also gives a little bit of like how to read this book, how to read the book that Jonathan Edwards wrote, excuse me, um, and how it's structured. And I think that was really helpful um, because it gave me, I, to be honest, I don't think I've read anything else by Jonathan Edwards other than his Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God um, mm. sermon. And so to hear John Piper add in a little bit more context of, oh, this is actually what he meant, or he says... This five other five other times in some other area, so he doesn't mean something that you might you know be uncomfortable about. He actually means this very biblical. Right. So it was it was helpful along those lines. So I would say to the listener, you know, maybe approach either, um, but you could certainly take the Jonathan Edwards one, but just um, understand like the format you're getting and and that you're getting it clean cut without some of the helps around it. Right. So the 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 primary focus, like you said, is a book in a book. Is yeah. Jonathan Edwards' book is the focus. But then added to it is that that uh, the structure, the focus that John Piper's giving, but then he's also gives that short little biographical sketch, which I, which I found an enjoyable read as well. Yeah, yeah, getting yeah. a little context to the 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 book as well. Yeah, no, I was just gonna say, like you you probably read books where someone translates a book for you that's you know four hundred years old and in German, and then they, so it's yeah. it's really just them translating. But here it's not just John Piper sprucing up, but giving a little bit more because it's it's a it's a thick, deep book, but it's very profitable and valuable. And it it really puts you in the mindset of thinking about the Lord and what he has done and what he is doing and what his future goals are and end is in in the, the various scriptures he provides. So 
it's really, I, I do think that he teased it up quite well for the reader because all, all the things I mentioned that John Piper put in, it's obviously the beginning. And then the, the second half of the book is Jonathan Edwards' book. Yeah, so zooming into the Jonathan Edwards portion, what are the the big issues, the big topics? You you gave us kind of the premise of it, uh, God's glory, but how does he approach it in in his book? <clears throat> yeah, so that's a good question. So actually, I might I might step back first, a, a, yeah. just a little bit, because I'll actually answer your question with a question you often ask, because I think this actually gives a good sense of like what the book is bringing to the table. So why I'm recommending it and why I you know, maybe suggested that you and I talk about this is the book really gives um, a deeper mindset, it, you know, really sets your mind into like, you feel like you're sitting in this of the, the purpose, the love, the character and the goodness of God mm. in his glory being shown in his ultimate plan. So I think that's like point number one, that's probably the big, you know, um, uh, overarching theme if I have to put it in a sentence or two um and then like a cerebral understanding because it, 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 it takes a lot of you know brain cells to, to work through this because he really takes his time and really gets deep into it mm-hmm. of uh cerebral understanding into what God has intended and not like a superficial pass over like you oh, oh I read this okay yeah I understand it but like he pulls in scripture from old and new testament all over the place to say here's a subsection of God's glory in creation or God's glory in communication to mankind. And here are all the verses and here's God's thought process. And and here's where it doesn't contradict or what have you. And that's, that's really great. Like it helps you to ponder and really think on it. Well, um, it also, and, and I think another maybe, um, point B of, of the first point I made is, uh, of this book is it brings together your, your understanding and the scripture and understanding that God's passion for his glory and the true joy of his people in him. Mm. Mm. I want to clarify. It's not just joy or happiness in people. It's God's passion for his glory and the true joy of his people in him are not at odds at all. Yeah. And he emphasizes how they're in perfect balance and intent. And I think that's really great. And, and the other point that John Piper gets into a little bit, but John Edwards opens his, his um, beginning of his book is that it's, these things we're talking about God's glory, his cosmic plans, his, you know, his communication through the scriptures, they're not against reason or logic. And he opens up his book with explaining, you know, certain terms and certain logic reasoning and how they don't go against what we're going to see in the scripture. So I think those points were like kind of the high level why I'm recommending it, but also like if you get the three, four, five themes I just gave, um, they, they're, they're, what the book brings together and what you really get out of it. And I, I really appreciated that. Yeah. And I think when he's dealing both in scripture and in, with the reason portion of the book, uh, he, he even raises objections and says, you know, people object here, 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 and, and tries to answer those objections. I think a lot of times when we think about God and the things he does, it's through the lens of our own humanity and we say, oh, you know, God, he just wants everyone to sit around and tell him how wonderful he is, right? And 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 we, when we're thinking about that, it's like, uh, you know, that doesn't sound quite right. And so he deals with those, right? Because here he's talking about the, the emphasis on God's glory and that God emphasizes his own glory. And again, when we, we think about that, we're like, wait a second. So I, I found that 
those sections helpful both in and he's dealing with the reason but then also in in scripture as well yeah it's like he's talking to someone that's ready to give a rebuttal for what he's saying and he's saying no 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 it's not it's not that yeah. and you think through this way and the bible does speak on that or like he really emphasizes that um the lord wants us to think through these things and that it's not contradictory to what you know what and how we're thinking the 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 lord's intent here is is really awesome to see as we you know take it to its um to its end no no pun intended as right, right. <laughs> and and he, it's primarily broken into those two sections you'd say uh the jonathan edwards first he deals with the reason could you tell us a little bit about that section yeah we should we should go into that as as uh, you and i talked so the so the book is and we're we're talking here now john the jonathan edwards book itself Jonathan Edwards' book, um, The End for Which God Created the World, is set up into two sections. And the first section, and I'd say it's pretty 50-50, if I remember yeah. correctly, yeah. or 40-60. But I'd say the first half of the book is him explaining the terms that he's going to use. Like he'll say, what is what is an ultimate end? Or what is a subordinate end? Or what do I mean by this or that? Or what does the Bible mean by this or that? But he, I would say he uses very little to no scripture during that, that first half. Yes. Yeah, but I don't think that that takes away um, at all from his second half, which we'll get to in a second. I think it's necessary because it tees up and builds well your thought process. Like it gets you ready for what you're going to get into, and it also you you know the verbiage. You you kind of are are understanding his approach. Yeah, it's it, but it's good to know that going into it. Uh, I, I think, yeah. you know, when I first started reading, I was like, wait a second, you know, where are the, the verses? But uh, it is, it's helpful knowing that, going into it and knowing that it's building to something. Yeah. Yeah. And so the second half, yeah, then is is him saying, what does God say about what we've been kind of leading into? And yeah. so what he does is he pulls from, as I mentioned, Old Testament, New Testament, you know, verses that you'll be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Or some that a little bit obscure, but you see, his theme, his approach, his thought process, where it all culminates and, and pulls together well. And so you get kind of why he had to give some some language, because he's saying, you know, hey, in this example, in this scripture, um, X was a subordinate end, it kind of led to something that led to something, but then God's ultimate end was the joy of his people in this context to, to show forth his glory. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, yeah, the second half, so, and John Piper, will say to some at the beginning of his book, he'll say, some of you might actually appreciate starting halfway through the book that the first yep. half is not that it'll be over people's heads, but it's, it's a unique structure and con and context. Um, I would leave it up to the listener here. I think both approaches could be fine. I mm -hmm. read it through first half and second half. You kind of have to give yourself some patience and some time, but it, it really does value, bring value and, and help you in the end. But you could start the second half and really jump into the scriptures, really enjoy that. And then you might want to go back and say, what did he mean by this? Or, yeah, yeah. or, or how does, you know, you know, Todd and David were talking about this. How does logic kick in here or reasoning? So I think you could do either, but, but um, that was John Piper's suggestion. You could, depending on what you're kind of looking for and what you're comfortable with. Now, just a question about that. Did you read when you read the two sections, them differently, different speeds, different methods or would you say it was about about the same oh that's two a great sections question. yeah that's a great question i didn't um i would say that i probably read the first half a little slower because it really 
as you might remember, there was times where he was using certain terms over and over again, and then slightly different terms. And you're saying to yourself, wait, what, what's, what's going on here? So yep. I'd say I probably took that a little bit slower. Yep. Um, but, but then the second half, I would say I still took it somewhat slow to a degree because I want to pull and understand those scriptures in their context and, and in his context of like a paragraph or a section. Right. Right. And in that first section, um, it, he does deal with some complicated terminology, but he gives some excellent examples. So sometimes I'd start reading, and I'm like, "Well, what? Where are you going with this?" And then he'd explain himself, and and it would make it it clear. I, I think I went slower through that section as well, primarily because it it was focused more in reason than it was in the scripture, although he's dealing with scriptural thoughts is talking about the glory of God and talking about you know his purpose and creation uh and and things like that and so I was trying to check as it were you know kind of view this okay do I agree with that and trying to think of scriptures which I think is is a good habit but w without them notated right now maybe I'm the type of person who should have started with the second one first so I would have had that kind of in, in the uh, ammunition when I went into the, the first section. But so, uh, yeah, I think I went through the first first bit a little bit um, slower as well. Okay. Yeah. Makes now, sense. Uh, do you have some favorite things about the book or favorite portions in the book that, that uh, were high on your list? Um. <clears throat> Yeah, I'd, I'd I'd say there was definitely a few that I'd I'd like we could talk through here. Um, and this is obviously these are just snippets. You know, the the book has a lot more th thoughts that kind of go hand in hand, or even slightly different. But one of the quotes I'll maybe start out with, I appreciated. Maybe you you came across this too, was um, the the quote that said, "Should I pursue obedience to God or joy in God?" It's like saying that I should eat fruit or apples. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> It's kind of like saying you know, you're asking a question that doesn't uh, make sense. It like can't be can't be answered. And it's and sometimes I do feel like even today, I do, I do think there are Christians that kind of are hesitant. And I I've had this tendency too a little bit that you're like the pleasure aspect of this world. And I'm saying the pleasure in God, good pleasure that he is he has built in for us and desires us to to enjoy. We're still a little bit hesitant. We're still a little bit like, ooh, like, should we, should we approach that? But but what what he's trying to get at here is our joy in him as we continue to live more like him and, 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 and enjoy his word and enjoy time with him, we become closer to him. Mm. We're going to have a, a truer, finer joy in him and saying like, that's one thing and obedience is one thing and kind of they're semi separate or they're, you know, mutually, mutually exclusive or even to some degree, like not always going to no, they're, they're, they're the one and the same. They should be. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I, I appreciated that quote to kind of maybe um, start things off here. But yeah, uh, the scriptures I thought of looking at that was this when it's describing um, those who are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Mm. And, and, you know, this idea that if you're a lover of pleasure, and you pursue pleasure, you don't actually end up finding it, right? But if you're a lover of God, you end up having both, right? God and pleasure. And uh, I was doing a little talk on on worship just just this weekend, 
And uh, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it talks about, you know, putting, you know, this idea of obedience or, or putting yourself on this, the altar, right? A living sacrifice. And then it ends with, which is your reasonable service. And the I thought that this is reasonable, right? That that if I believe that God is who he says he is, mm-hmm. then it's the only reasonable thing to do. And and I really like that that thought as well, kind of looking at obedience mm-hmm. and how that results. Because anyway, anyway, it, it just brought me into that direction yeah. there. One one thing I think maybe we could go to next, because this is something that you you hinted at or, or mentioned a few minutes ago, is that um, there are times where he'll bring up a a topic or a, a thought process that sounds a little contradictory or almost erroneous in a way that like, how would you say that about God? But it's because we're used to thinking like human beings. Right. Because so like if I said to you, or if I knew you, like, David, you're just continually talking about yourself and loving yourself and loving everything that you do, it feels uncomfortable. It feels prideful. It feels like you might need to be have a sit down. <laughs> like, yeah. you know what I mean? But when we're talking about the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth, the holy and just one that is perfect and has no flaw. You, you, and and I mean, I'm giving a few characters, but when you when you really sit down and think about it's actually not contradictory, not wrong. The scriptures emphasize this. And 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 so John Jonathan Edwards goes into this in actually kind of multiple layers of the onion in the sense that he's like, um, when God um hears praise about himself, that's good. It's not bad like human beings, it's it's actually good. When God sees um him communicating himself to others and others responding back to him, that's good. When God shows himself in creation and people are worshiping him because of the creation that's good like it's it's him like and basically I th- I, and i sorry i might not have the exact quote but basically he's saying if god is all good and god is all holy and you know fill in the blanks probably a few other characteristics and he doesn't like to communicate himself show himself hear praise about himself that would actually be a sin that actually be like contradictory because like then you'd be like well then you would you would not love goodness you would not love righteousness like he has to love righteousness so he has to show, sorry, he has to love the righteousness that he shows to others and is reflected back to him. Right. So as you, as you're sitting down in this book and thinking along those lines, you're like, oh yeah, that doesn't make sense. And you appreciate more about the Lord as you're really diving deeper into this. And sometimes you're like, okay, he's going there. Oh, he's going there. And like, he keeps going for it, but you're like, oh, oh, wow. This is actually really helps me understand more and more about him and and love him more and, and trust him more. So I, And and you see that response. So like when the Lord Jesus says, it's one of these strange things, if I would say it, you are my friends if you do what I say, right? And you're like, "Uh, I don't think that's the basis of a good friendship. And it's, well, if everything that I say is for your good, right, is true, is loving, is, you know, faithful, all those, like you said, all those attributes then yeah, that's the best thing for you. You know, this is this would be the ultimate friendship that you could ever have. Uh, another illustration. This again, it goes back to that idea of it's reasonable, right? That 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 idea that I would do what he says, 
that is reasonable. Uh, I think of uh, this kind of comes back to my worship topic, but they're, they're dovetailed worshiped in his glory. Yeah. Uh, when in heaven, um, the elders, they take their crowns and they cast them at the feet uh, of the throne. And I think these these crowns, that they're, they're, it's true power, true authority, right? This is this is told to us. If you're faithful with a coin, you'll be given a city. And I don't think this is some kind of yes man job when we get to heaven. That God just says, "Yeah, I'll I'll give you a crown and you know responsibility," but really, I'll rule the universe. I think He truly gives it to us, truly gives us that responsibility. But then what these elders are doing is they're saying, um, you have all the best ideas, right? Anything we could think of independent of you is not as good as what you would say. And it's all you. It's all to you. And so like we're saying, when God does this and sees it, it's good. And we see in these instances when man agrees with God— right? As we should, as, as we spend time in the word of God, and we see something we agree, we obey, we see it to be true, right? And and as a result, they're saying, this is the most reasonable thing to do, is is to cast the crowns at his feet and say, it's it's all for you. It's all, you know, this is, this is good. This is a good thing. That's a great example. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great passage, great thought. The other, um, Thing while while we're talking about kind of the um you know the the difficult thoughts and the difficult portions he kind of gets into we talked about objections so, you know he brings yeah. up some objections yeah. but, but you know uh, and a couple of the things I really appreciated was where he's he said you know well an argument might be well if God you know created us and kind of wants us to to show the joy that we get from Him back to Him like is He reliant on us is He right. sufficient only because like He needs us to some degree. And I'm not going to go into a lot, like, you know, read, read the book, please do, you know, yeah. I give you a little taste, but he, he goes into some, some thoughts along those lines. Like, no, there's um, the, the God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit and eternity past. So there is that communication, that love that you, you can see multiple passage, Genesis one and others. Um, where he's like, you know, he doesn't need us, but he goes into the, the good things that come from a life change in a human being showing that back to the Lord. Lord Jesus. So he goes in that a little bit. And the other thing he he did dive into a little bit too was some people might say, well, the opposite of enjoying God's glory for all eternity is eternal punishment, eternal damnation, where there's torment and gnashing of teeth. Like, how can you justify that? Like right. really every second for all eternity. And and it's interesting, I'd say, to even see his perspective from you know, the language he used from 250 plus years ago. But he I think he handles it quite well in that he he emphasizes God's glory and the beauty and the holiness of that so much that he basically says, I, I know I'm just kind of paraphrasing, summarizing, but basically says like the opposite of that can only be this. Like can only right. be, there's, there's it's like the white, it's like the blackest and the whitest, the, the polar opposites that you can be. And, and he said, it, it only, it kind of makes sense, you know, it goes back. And that's why the Lord, you know, has it that way. So he, he doesn't shy away at all from, um, the crevices, the corners of of objections that people might bring up, and because I think it only just shines the light more on how awesome this theme is. Yeah, oh, God. yeah. And speaking of light, I, I think that's key when it's speaking of God, His glory, His 
his revelation. It, it, the illustration in the scripture is light. And when, like in Ephesians 5, it says, you were once darkness, now you're children of light. And these two, they're not merely opposites, right? He didn't say you were once black and now you're white, right? Because those are opposites. But he said, no, darkness and light, these are opposing. Mm -hmm. And if you say there's no white, you can still have all sorts of other colors and, you know, that sort of thing. But he says, if there's no light, the only option is darkness, right? The, the, those two are the only things of necessity, right? It, it has to be one or the other. And so when you take God out and he says, depart from me, I never knew you, right? This, this departing. Well, all you have left is everything that's not like God, right? And um, a great little verse, I love it, in Psalm 1, verse 6, it's a it's a antithetical parallelism where it says, uh, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And so this is a little equation. It's got... Um, the way of the righteous and the way of the ungodly, and those are opposites. And so it shows the other opposites are perish, and the Lord knows, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And this is, of course, what he says, depart from me, I never knew you, right? And that's what it means to perish, to, to never have that relationship with, with God. And so I think um, just to this point where, where he's saying, when you're separate from God, who, and again, uh, it, this comes down to our understanding of who God is. And when we say, oh, I don't have any of these, well, that is, that is hell. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. The itching, I was, there's a quote that I didn't want to skip, uh, but that kind of talks about light and darkness a little bit. And, and those that are pursuing and trying to you know, follow and obey the Lord and, and those that would go to their destruction. And um, it kind of goes along what you were just saying in that it says the true believers that love God, love him and who he is. And that's, that's their joy. Mm. Hypocrites love what God makes of them and does for them. And then he is sort of lovely to them. And mm. I know I'm pulling this quote a little bit out of context because he goes into it a little bit more in that paragraph or two, if I remember correctly, where he says that he kind of goes into the like, what does God make of us or what do we try to make of God or what mm. do we, you know, appreciate that God right. does for us and kind of take the superficial, take the things that we like. And, and, and it shows based on, you know, if we're actually obeying him and following him or not and being hypocrites, as I said. So I, I appreciated that quote too. Yeah. 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 Um, one of the things I like about this book, even the uh, Piper version is that you can find the PDF online so if this is a book where you're like, oh, they said there's some heavy sections, I'm not quite sure. You say, maybe I'll start with that second section. You can even go in, you can start reading it. Now, some people, they like that nice paper in their hands. Yeah. Yeah, feel. Sure. But even then, you know, the, the, the physical book tends to cost a bit of money, right? Go mm -hmm. in, read a section of it, and, and we'll post that link uh, in the comments. But that way you can go, you can read a section and say, oh yeah, I want to go buy this book or or whatever. But I think well, that's- I think I, Is it free? Is that, you found no. it? I, oh, I didn't realize that. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. Oh, 
Yeah, that, yeah. yeah, that'd be great if you could post it. Yeah, because I think that would be good for people to to to. I would say though for the listener to to give it some time. Like it, it might be hard to read a couple sections and really get the sense and the gist of yeah, it's coming across. But yeah, no, that would certainly be a, a great idea. Mm-hmm. Good. Any other uh, favorite thoughts or even areas that you would say be cautious of this section or uh, anything like that? Other suggestions while reading the book? Um, yeah, I actually will give you maybe one more just a reminder about the book structure and maybe a quote or two. But uh, one other thing I'll just say is, you know, John Piper, and I think it's kind of like he and Jonathan Edwards get together and will have a little powwow, but there is a little bit of Calvinism that's snuck yep. in there for, I'd say, three, four, five pages. Um, I, that I, I, I don't think it actually took away from the book, but I also didn't think it was necessary. It kind of seemed right. a little superfluous, but uh, just for the reader that may not have you know calvinistic beliefs just be aware of that and that's not what i would promote and and think but at the same time i think the whole of the book was great and like i said i think the john piper footnotes and other thoughts really um, added a lot of value and helped me you know understand it better yeah that's just one other point i wanted to make about this version itself you know if you happen to get um, john piper's version rather than the direct book from jonathan edwards yeah there are Uh, sections in uh, like the biographical section too that mm -hmm. that kind of added to that yeah. yeah, one one other thought, and I'd like to get your take on it, um, is that he emphasized, and I, I appreciated this too, because sometimes I think you might read the portions in the gospel and you might not think to this level, but he was even talking a little bit about that the Lord Jesus Christ acknowledged that he focused on his father's glory um, before the cross. And then after the cross, there was some verses that clarify that the Lord Jesus's glory was was there and evident and shown. You know, John seven eighteen and John seventeen one were the two verses I wrote down as kind of bookends of sort of sorts where it says, you know, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. Now, mm-hmm. I've not. I have to be honest with you, a little caveat. I've not been able to go back yet and look at all the scriptures, you know, pre, you know, before the cross and say that that definitely occurred versus post. But I, I understand the thought process there because, as we know, the Lord Jesus did all the things that pleased the Father. Yep. And that was his focus, his goal, his his obedience, you know, obedient to the death of the cross. So I would at least say at the outset that that was an encouraging and 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 beautiful thought in my mind that I really appreciate a lot that afterward, then it because I mean that's the cross is 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 where it's at, is is our salvation, is God's ultimate satisfaction in his son being that you know substitute for us. So I, I just It'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that because I, 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 when that came across, I not that I'd never thought of it, but I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I think to that level of detail and that um, description, maybe um, that really helped me a lot. Yeah, and you know, this is what he says: "He who has seen me has seen the Father." That mm-hmm. when he came to the earth, he was revealing the Father. This is Hebrews one, where it says that God spoke it in different times and different ways and he revealed himself through his son he jesus who's the fullness of uh god's glory and so here he is presenting the father so to speak and then when we get to revelation this is the revelation of jesus christ so it's almost like jesus was concealed on his first visit and when he returns he will be revealed right? That that he took the humble place, lowered himself down, uh, and his body is, is referred to as the veil, right? He covered himself. 
and and he he comes and and he lives uh, to the glory of the Father, revealing the Father. And then when it comes time, revelation, that's when the Son will be revealed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I think it's uh, William Newell in his commentary on Hebrews, when he talked about Hebrews 1-3, about the effulgence of his glory. And it's like the perfect shining forth that it doesn't, isn't lacking anything from that light source, yeah. but it's the perfect um, shining forth. And and he kind of goes into a little bit more of the, the word there. But yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. So that was a thought that, that came forth that I, I really liked, um, mm-hmm. that I didn't want to, didn't want to miss. I, I, there was definitely a quote too, that I wanted to, to clarify or to, um, to mention uh, here that I think people will appreciate. Cause I, I just, I don't know. I think the structure of it, he really, he really tried to think through this well. And it was, I think at the end of a paragraph, but he said that um, God communicates himself to the understanding of the creature in giving him the knowledge of his glory to the will of the creature in giving him holiness consisting uh, primarily in the love of God and in giving the creature happiness chiefly consisting in joy in God. So the the quote there is emphasizing that God communicates himself in three different facets in our lives, our understanding, our will, and our happiness. And you have to say they are quite separate and, and you can appreciate different themes and different thought processes in how and why he hits those. And he says, with our understanding, it's the knowledge of his glory, really understanding and knowing it as best we can on this earth. And then our will, which brings about, you know, as we're, you know, as the Lord is breaking down our sin and our, our pride and our selfishness as we become more holy. And so as he says, holiness consisting in the love of God, and then in giving us true happiness, we talked about, which is which will end in joy, joy in yeah. God. So um, understanding will and happiness. I liked how that, that quote kind of broke down. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Good. Um would there be any you now you gave some suggestions on reading the book we talked about the pace of the book talked mm-hmm. about the different sections of the book how well we we kind of broke it into the book the John Piper book and it kind of has three sections with the last section being the Jonathan Edwards book and then how that has two sections uh now one of yeah. the things that John Piper did was he inserted paragraph numberings and he did that for like assistance. If, if you and someone else wanted to have conversation about it, you'd say, Oh yeah, paragraph 45 or this, this page, that sort of thing. So it it was kind of like a discussion tool. Are there any other tips or suggestions you have just kind of overarching for, for the book? No, that's a that's a great point, and I'm glad you did emphasize that to the listener because um, I think that our reading style today and our appreciation of like organizing it visually, John Piper's um, numbering and structure does really really help. I mean, yeah, you could read it straight through and it kind of be one long flowing <laughs> paragraph after paragraph, but I think that even just seeing like a, a break in a paragraph and a numbering, you, you kind of are like switching gears slightly in your head. So it it probably does really help. I like I said, I I would recommend this uh, John Piper's version in the sense that I think a lot of his footnotes, he's like, hey, I know Jonathan Edwards just said this, but this word actually two hundred years ago means this, and right. it's not contradicting this scripture because he says in other portions, this is what he means. So you're like, oh, okay, good. I think those things alone really help you get it. And I think yeah. the other point I should have said at the outset is. 
you know, I think Jonathan Edwards, a lot of us, maybe 90, 95% of us know him as the guy that preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. And we know that he drops the hammer there and he does not hold back with the judgment and the wrath of God. And you kind of, that's all you know of him. And I'll, like I said, I, I more or less, that's all I really knew and a little bit of his, of his life and his biography, but you kind of are like, Oh man, he's a, he's a hard hitter, but this is like the opposite of thinking of God's glory of his beauty, Mm -hmm. of his holiness, of his intent to um, bring about true joy in man that they can't get anywhere else outside of him. And when you get this, it's almost like this stark contrast of, of sinners in the hands to some degree. I mean, yeah god's wrath you know in both books but or both uh sermon and book but i I, that's another point i would i would emphasize that you know it really helps you get a better sense of of john edward's breadth of his of his thought process and his biblical uh, appreciation yeah this is kind of off topic i mean it talks with the wrath but this is an observation i just recently had in my bible study so i thought i'd share it oh yeah uh is in romans one again talking about worship how the people they they knew god but they didn't worship him. Instead, they worshiped the creature rather than the creator. And it says they suppressed the truth. And then it says his wrath is revealed. And I thought that was very interesting that God has revealed himself. And this is actually it tied back into the book. But uh, I really enjoyed thinking through the aspect of creation in that book. Um, it, this is a big theme through the scriptures. And sometimes... I, I don't think we think about it as often as it's present in the scriptures is God revealed in creation. You go through the Psalms and it talks about it very regularly. It's talking about creation and how it speaks of God. And that's what he, uh, the spirit brings out in Romans one. But so the, the, the God has revealed himself. And when we suppress what God has revealed, God still reveals himself. And so there they suppress the truth and his wrath is revealed. So I thought that was a an interesting yeah. thing. Yeah, um, I'm glad you mentioned Romans 1 because I was there was another uh, thought I had, uh, didn't know if I would share it or not, but you know, uh, there's a quote about in the book that the joy in God's in in his people that comes across that we're we're talking about is God-centered. I mean, I, I know it kind of goes without saying to some degree, but it's God-centered and he's the focus and he's in the middle of it all. But uh, a book I'm reading now emphasizes that, you know, the world and and the enemy today wants to make God the enemy and kind of say God's in our way, God's frustrating us, God's blocking our paths to our joy, our fun, our our whatever. And it's it's kind of encasing God in this this enemy approach where he should be in the center and the, the love and the joy. And, and you know, I was thinking, I... I don't know if you know this, but I, I just appreciated this thought a couple weeks ago um, in that um, in Mein Kampf, Adolf Hitler's book, which uh, you might say, wait, where are you going with this? <laughs> that, you know, he had many thought processes in that book about why he wanted to exterminate the Jews. But one of the things that he actually came across and said was these Jewish people have these moral principles like loving your neighbor and, and you know, being mm. kind and being um, selfless. And if we get rid of them, then we'll be able to progress and have a, a great society in, in you know, mm. the ultimate humankind. And so basically what he's saying is these these Jewish people have these morals that I don't like and I want to get rid of. So if I just silence them, get rid of them, then, you know, I'm free. So yeah, right, it's, right. It's, 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 well, I wasn't say the exact opposite of Romans. Romans 1 highlights that, but um, it's exact opposite of God-centeredness. Yeah. It, God's my enemy. God's in my way. 
let me get, let me get him out of my way somehow, however I want or however I can try to, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I, I thought that was crazy because I had never come across that uh, that aspect that somebody had highlighted for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the my joy is in you, and your joy is full. You know, it's it's right there. It's good. Mm -hmm. Now, one last thing I think about the structure of the book I that I like is the the sections, the like the chapters. Um, they're very long, but they're broken into much smaller parts. And mm -hmm. so it is the sort of book that you can read a little chunk at a time and think think it through or read a few chunks. But those chunks tend to flow, right? So it it's not the type of book, like sometimes in a busy season of my life, uh, I like to get a good compilation, right? I can read a chapter, put it down, in a few days, pick it up, and I, I whatever I'm reading is totally different because it's a compilation, right? Uh, whereas with this, I think if you did that, you may lose what he was talking about. So I, it is the sort of thing, even if you read one of those little sections a day, I think you'll retain and, and move through it. But I, I did feel like I needed to kind of keep a pace a, as I moved through it. I would agree because like, he might have a chapter and he, the John Piper kind of makes a chapter where there might be like eight, you know, sub bullets, you know, categories of sorts. And you could read one of those a day if you wanted to. And yeah, you should move a little bit because all eight of those go together. But at the same time, you could take one of those eight and almost pause after that paragraph, appreciate those thoughts and go to the scriptures and say, what Bible portions or verses yep. that I I could really appreciate to help me highlight this and emphasize this even more and almost make it like a little mini devotional because in and of that self, it, it could be really helpful. But yeah, it does go with that larger, you know, eight category theme as my example goes. So it, it would help to keep moving to some degree. Yeah. Yeah. If you put it down for a couple of weeks and try to pick it back up, you'd probably have to refresh yourself. Yeah. yeah you spend some time refreshing. You can just pick back up wherever yeah. you started. Yeah. Really Good. Any, any last thoughts on the book? No, I think we I think we covered it. I I would I would say well, I th I, th I think we talked to you and I about this last time in the sense that like who would I recommend it for? I I would yeah. I would definitely recommend it though for someone that is willing to take the time to really think through these thoughts because it's not a light book. Yeah. But it will bring you a lot of a lot of blessing at the end of the day and really uh, make you think more about his ultimate plans and it'll help you enjoy that and appreciate that. But it's not for the faint of heart of someone that maybe is not the biggest reader. Um, yeah. Maybe jump to the second section that really helps with the biblical passages, but it, it's one that takes some, some time, but it's, it's really great in the end. Now, how long would you say that just, if I just wanted to read the second section of the Jonathan Edwards book, about how long is that? Uh, I could check it right now. I want to say it's about 90, hundred pages, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah, hold the whole book up, the whole John Piper book. Yeah, so that is, it's a much thicker book. But if yeah. you you want to bring it down to a 90-page book, you, you focus in on that last section of the Jonathan Edwards book. Yep. Uh, it starts, yeah, 125 to about 241. Oh, it's actually a little over 100, maybe 110, 120. Okay, okay. Yeah, but much much more doable. If if that oh, yeah. sort of book seems exhausting, uh, rather than exhaustive, uh, then then maybe just 
go we, to that second. We, no, we didn't mention that the that um, you and I talked about this beforehand. But yes. there's in the very back of the book, there is a resource. I just happened to stumble upon it where yeah. it's literally all his scripture index. Yes. Of what was mentioned, maybe even what wasn't mentioned. So that in that by itself could be uh, very helpful for you to to go through and say, oh, well, this is really you know condensed and you know um, go through each passage um, yeah succinctly that's yeah so definitely. um it is it is about 250 total so it is about 50 50 for the yeah. um the two sections yeah good good yeah i'm glad you uh you mentioned that at the back that scripture index those are very helpful when you find find those um in in books it it helps especially if you like you said you wanted to kind of turn it into a devotional study uh to have though that as a guide along the way well, good. Well, thank you so much, uh, sharing another resource with us. And uh, I hope a lot of our listeners get out and read it. And we'll put that link uh, for that PDF, but then also put a, a link as to a place if you'd like to purchase the book itself. Sounds okay. great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and thank you.